And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hello and welcome to Front and Nationwide. This is the Athletics Dedicated Blue Jackets Podcast Postseason Edition. Uh, the last time we talked to you, the Blue Jackets were still alive in the playoffs. Hopeful of a, for a comeback from 3-2 down. Couldn't quite pull it off. Blue Jackets were found in six games to the Boston Bruins. We will we'll get to that uh, later in this show for sure. Uh, but I think it's important to look ahead to what figures to be a very active summer or at least one full of big, momentous decisions uh, for the Blue Jackets and some of their players. Joined today by Allison Lucan. Hello. And Tom Reed. Hello. And let's get right into it here. I think at the top of this list... Uh, probably the thing that is going to be dealt with first is John Davidson. Uh, does he go to the New York Rangers? If he goes to the New York Rangers, what do the Blue Jackets do uh, to replace him or not replace him? How do they restructure things in the front office if necessary uh, in the wake of his departure? Of course, he's not left yet. He he may not leave. I'm told this is a very difficult decision for him uh, that he – you know, that he, he would be torn to leave a place like this where the living's pretty darn good and easy for John Davidson uh, to go into a, a situation in New York where uh, like the stress level would be noticeably higher for him because of the relationship of the owner uh, to his clubs there, the Knicks and the Rangers. Uh, we have a story up on the site right now that sort of explores this possibility. 
as well as how the Blue Jackets re- could respond to it. Tom, let me get your your thoughts. You know the Rangers situation well. You know what Glenn Sather, who's retiring, has meant to the to that team and and its ability to keep the uh, GM Jeff Gordon away from the owner James Dolan. Uh, your thoughts on John Davidson possibly headed to the Rangers, what that would mean for John Davidson and what his departure might mean for the Blue Jackets. Ooh, there's a lot to take in there. Um, yeah. I'll start with the Rangers situation. I can see why uh, the Rangers would want J.D. Um, because, again, obviously he was a former player, a longtime broadcaster, well-respected uh, throughout the organization, and that's the last part is where I'll start there. Uh, they need a buffer. Uh, they like Jeff Gorton as the general manager, but um, James Dolan is the worst owner in sports. Well, uh, and, and and the fact is that Glenn Sather came in with enough cachet, having won so many Stanley Cups in Edmonton, that he was basically able to tell James Dolan to fuck off and stay out of the hockey operations. Where James Dolan also owns the New York Knicks, and they are a train wreck. They are a train wreck every year because nobody was either strong enough or invested enough, and I'm looking at you, Phil Jackson, when I say that, to to stop him from meddling. The Rangers and Knicks during this stretch were completely opposites. One was a model of consistency. While the Rangers never won the Cup, they were always in the hunt in the East, um, Made it, made it to the cup one year, had a couple of other conference final appearances, and the Knicks were just, they were terrible under James Dolan. So I think the thinking here is, is J.D. would be able to be come in there with enough respect that he would keep James Dolan away from uh, Gorton and let Gorton try to start this rebuild because they're really just getting going in this whole rebuild in New York. And the last thing you need is a meddling owner coming in there and saying, no, let's go out and get a bunch of free agents like we used to do back when we missed the playoffs seven straight years with the highest payroll in the league. And that's what they're trying to avoid. Uh, I, If I were J.D., I would not take the job. I, I just don't think there is uh, – I think what he's got going here now is, 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 is good. He brought in a, a really good general manager. He's starting to get this thing built the right way. Uh, if it were me, I would decline it and stay here in Columbus, maybe get an extension on your contract. Uh, but I don't, I have no inkling one way or the other, what he will do. Uh, again, I just, I I think he would succeed in New York, but I think the stress level, as you mentioned, would go just through the roof. Well, the expectation is that the blue jackets, uh, would grant the Rangers permission to talk to John Davidson. Why stand in his way? Uh, there is no compensation anymore in these these type of transactions. They, the league did away with that just after the Blue Jackets gave up a draft pick for John Tortorella a few years back. Um, but it is a, it is a safe assumption too that the Blue Jackets would do what they can to keep John Davidson. Uh, that means perhaps more years on his contract, perhaps more money on his annual salary, all of those things. Um, but he, I think he's seen as a very important piece here, Allison. His time when he arrived here in Columbus, he, it was absolutely crucial to have somebody at the at the top of the organization that a ownership 
could trust, but also be the fan base here could trust. And if that's John da- John Davidson's legacy, that's not a small legacy. Fair to say. Oh yeah, I completely agree. And I think that you know, as one of the things your article, um, which laid out all the options quite nicely, I thought uh, pointed out that would also be a testament, I think, to his legacy is. I tend to think that should he go, uh, that the organization out of necessity would not have to replace anyone in that role specifically. Um, As you illustrate, there might be compensation conversations for Yarmo and and any others in the front office to, to kind of boost up the strength they have. But I think that the organization is in a place now where you don't necessarily need the role that JD filled. Um, I'm, I have no bombs like Tom just dropped, but I think, you know, I think that it, it has to be hard because that New York job is going to be just a ton of work and, and hockey has, has put its dues on John Davidson's body. <laughs> and, um, you know, I, it's, that would be a tough ask. I mean, I get it. You want to rise to the challenge, but it, I don't know if he stays or goes, it's going to be interesting. And doesn't it, doesn't it say Tom, that, I think most people around the league, I know most people around the league that I talk to anyways, are of the mind that the Blue Jackets, that there's no real necessity to replace John Davidson in Columbus. Now, that doesn't mean he's, he's no longer needed. It just means that the job he was brought in to do, to stabilize the front office, that it's a front office now that could that could run on its own. Um, doesn't that, doesn't that, and first of all, do you agree with that, but also, doesn't it say that John Davidson did his job really, really well? Yes, yes, yeah. When you when you when you're when you're almost to the point where your job is on autopilot because you've done it so well for so many years to get the right people in place. Uh, the general manager, no small move, first European general manager in the history of the NHL, and uh, I, whatever who takes the credit for whatever bringing in Tortorella who just absolutely breathed life into this team over the last, you know, his only three full years with the Blue Jackets have all been the playoffs. Uh, that is quite a legacy. He talked about building it brick by brick, and, and I think he's he's gone a long way. And that is the one, the one thing I think that he can, while they didn't win the Stanley Cup this year, if he does leave and take the job in New York, I don't think anyone can say, well, you're left in the middle of the job. Right. Right. You're leaving and the job's not complete or you didn't do your job. He's done it. And it's it's one of the reasons why the Blue Jackets would have to say, God, we, we hate to see you leave. But thank you very much for for what you were at least been able to start here and get us finally going in the right direction uh, with, for, with some consistency. So, yes, I think that would be. And to Allison's point, too, I, I agree with Allison. I mean, his health. I mean, I guess you can manage health everywhere, but. You know, he is he, his body. He he jokingly calls himself what is a walking uh, what do you call himself a walking uh, a six million dollar man? No, 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 a scar tissue. He's just uh, you know, a walking piece of arthritis. That's what it is. I mean, and you and and I'm not joking. I mean, just you, you watch him, he's in a lot of pain, it seems like a lot of times. So, uh, you know, you, you could also make the case too. Tom and Allison, that if you're John Davidson, it's been kind of an upward arc here in Columbus. I think most assume there's going to be a little bit of a 
a dip if Bobrovsky, if Panarin, if Duchesne, if others take off this year. Maybe that makes it a good time for him to mosey on out the building and go back to where his legend in this NHL was born. Um, Allison, do you see any any merit to that? Like, good timing if, if the team's going to take a backward step now? I, I mean, I get it. I get that that's a narrative, but it, but it could also be the opposite, right? Like, oh, sure, now that things get tough, you leave, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, so I, I think that it, it's, it is another pivot point for the decision, but I don't know that the way that it goes down is, is only one way in terms of perception. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that, that, that is number one on the agenda for the Blue Jackets, and I don't think this is going to take uh, very long to sort out, to be honest with you. I don't think John Davidson uh, was pleased at all that it became a story during the playoffs. Um, I think he'd hoped to keep it under wraps, wouldn't talk about it at all. We tried several times, um, did not want to be any kind of distraction. And I think the sooner that this is put to bed, uh, he'll, he'll feel the better about it. So, I, I, I mean, I think within a week here we'll have an idea of whether John Davidson is going to the Rangers or not. Um, and, and yet this summer could still plug on here for Bobrovsky and Panera. Now, as you may hear in the – raspiness of my voice i've been under the weather i was not at Lox, Lob, lobster checkout day nice. God, that's perfect. locker checkout day the day that the blue jackets departed for the off season uh tom and allison were both there what was the mood around the the big three panarin who i assume didn't talk bobrovsky who i know did uh and duchene who talked uh allison what, what sort of pictures painted on those three uh, as they head towards unrestricted free agency. Yeah, I mean, obviously, no one was going to come in and announce their plans. <laughs> um, Bobrovsky, I think, I think it, it, presuming he goes elsewhere, I think it was a nice coda to his season and his time. He was very gracious to the organization. Um, he was specifically asked if the relationship with the organization was tenuous, uh, fractured, I believe was the word in the question, and, and he said no. He said that at the end of, of his meetings with the team that day that they, as he said, shook hands and said thank you to one another. And, and there are ups and downs, but it, that the relationship is not fractured. Um, you still kind of get the sense that he's gone. He did reference seven years a couple times in his answers, which speaks to signing with another organization since the Jackets are the only that could offer him eight. Um but he, he was, it was it was nice. It was pleasant. Um, and I think that he said some really good things, again, to end his relationship. Duchesne, um, th- this is going to be a tricky one because, as we've talked about, he has said all the right things about being impressed with Columbus, being impressed with the organization, specifically saying the Jackets had a winning culture top to bottom. Um, he had good relationships with his teammates, Great raved about Yarmo Kekalainen, just raved. Um, but when he was asked about what will drive his decision. He said it was going to be a hockey decision. Um, We know this is a guy who wants to win. We know this is a guy who wants to be on a difference-making team. And he also acknowledged that it does come into play that Bobrovsky and Panarin may not be on this team. Um, But he hedged that too a little bit. He said, you know, it doesn't always have to be that one piece replaces one piece. It can be a combination of pieces replacing a piece. Um, So I think uh, of the big three, he's going to be the one that's going to present the most intrigue because I think he, I really think he was very impressed. He said he knew nothing about Columbus because you just go from the hotel to the rink. Um, and then yeah. he, he was 
as he said numerous times, he just raved about his time here, both on and off the ice. Yeah, well, what's interesting to me is uh, Panarin leaving, I don't think necessarily negatively impacts Duchesne at all. In fact, it could positively influence it. Because one of the things that's apparently important to him or a, a desired uh, element of his situation is that he be the guy, the, right. the the focal point of the offense. And I, I think that's what Panarin wants as well um, and will be part of his decision between uh, the Rangers and Florida. Um, and, and so Duch- I don't know. I, I don't know what to make of, Duch- of uh, Duchesne. Tom, what did you make of, of Bobrovsky's – uh, exit interview. Did he drop into past tense or was it me? Um, along with the other guys, I'll be honest. At, at that time, Aaron, uh, they started. At first, they started bringing one guy into the room for everybody to start to talk to. Uh, when Bobrovsky talked, Allison was over there, and I was over uh, interviewing the captain, Nick Polino. So I did not get any sense of what how Bob was talking. I think Allison summed it up pretty well. And I agree. To me, Sergei Bobrovsky is at peace. And I think he's probably just looking for a new challenge. Yeah. He's, it's, he, 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 he ended on a good term. Uh, they finally won a playoff round. He, play, he put in a very respectable uh, playoff performance. I think he's. I just think he's ready to move on. Yeah, and, and let me ask it from the other perspective here. Do you think the Blue Jackets are ready to move on as well? I mean, well, I think they have they have guys and they certainly have guys in the pipeline. Yeah. Um, uh, that's not a position where you look at and say, "Oh, man, they have got nothing coming up here." Uh, from Merzlikins to Daniil Tarasov, and I'm sorry, I can't even pronounce the kid. Vevelinen. The kid from Finland. Vevelinen. Right. So they they've got guys in the pipeline now. Whether they want to uh, supplement that in free agency with Corpus Salo, what, what happens with Corpus Salo? Uh, I'm not sure those that'll just kind of sort itself out this summer. Go ahead, Allison. I'm sorry. No, no, no. I, um, I, I agree. I think that, I mean, I think that the best scenario would be if Bob stayed for just a couple more years, which obviously the player isn't going to agree to. Um, but as the, as the pipe, if, if Bob were to stay, the whole pipeline is shook is shooken up, right? Because, They've sure. got these guys tiered up, and I don't know. We, we talk about the gamble that the team took at the deadline. I don't know that you take that gamble of, of letting go of a slew of young talent in net because Bobrovsky stays. And that with full marks to Bobrovsky. That's not to say he's not still a great goaltender right now, but um, I think because of what's coming, there might be some dips in terms of goaltending here right at the start of the transition, but I think the team is ready to see what's next too. Yeah, I mean, look, they're going to sign Elvis Merzlikens to a one-way contract. Yunus uh, Corposalo is going to have a one-way contract. I don't know that you want to carry this team into next season with one of those with those two guys as your one-two punch. Now they may be they may be up to the task. They may be, uh, but I, I don't I don't think you're at a point with this organization where you you just say maybe. Right. Uh, I think you want to know. So there are guys out there that could bridge the gap. Short-term guys. Uh, Mike Smith is 37 years old. I don't think he's expecting more. He played pretty well this year. I don't think he's expecting more than a one- or two-year contract, if that. Um, there's Semyon 
Varlamov is out there. Cam Talbot is out there. Uh, now, there's some tread off these tires, sure. Brian Elliott, Michael Neuverth, um, you know, we could go on here. Robin Lanner's going to be out there after a great season. He's 27. I'm not sure if he wants a one-year deal or not. Um, and Blue Jackets have Keith Kincaid in. I don't know if any of these guys uh, really excite them, but but it would give them uh, some confidence that they're going to have a goaltender this year, even if Elvis falls flat on his face. That's the scenario that I could see, not Elvis falling flat on his face, but them signing a, a free agent to, to sort of just bridge their confidence to, to the young man. <coughs> um, do you guys, where do you guys come in on this? Do you see a risk in, in um, I mean, they can't go Elvis and Yunus to start next year. Can they tell well, I think you lay out a, a very plausible scenario where they do add a veteran goalie. Yeah, but now do, do you then do you just move on from Corpusala? Is that is that uh, you try to? He's an RFA, right? Yeah, I mean, I think you keep him. Yeah. So so where so you're to keep three goalies? No, I think you sign him and you move one if you have to. Yeah. Right. I mean, that, that's what I think that would be the most plausible explanation. I would think if because if you're going to bring in a Veteran goal, you're not going to keep three on the roster. No, at this point. and that and and Kekalina would or uh, moving Corpusala would be a way for Kekalina to recoup a draft pick. Right, correct. Yeah, so that is a, to me a very plausible scenario. Yeah, um, Allison, your number one and two goalies next year, Merzlikens, Corpusala, too risky, yeah. Yeah, unfortunately, I mean this was. Everyone said this was the year that they were going to see if Corpusalo could step up and say what he could do, and I don't think he did that. So you can't. Yeah, interesting. Um, a great story on the site by George Richards today out of our Miami bureau. I love saying that <laughs> um, about the Panthers being big game hunters, and again, no, no question they're going after Bobrovsky. They may already know they can get him. Um, but also Panarin. Uh, Duchesne is up in the air, and then others. Um, Adam McQuaid is an unrestricted free agent. Uh, Keith Kincaid is an unrestricted free agent. They've got six unrestricted free agents. Who am I missing? Zingle. Right, Zingle. How did I forget Zingle? Uh, and for me, Zingle is almost as tricky as any of them. And I say that because Dzingel has scored an average of 25 goals the last three seasons. Those guys get paid big time in this league. Uh, and I don't know that the Blue Jackets view him as a four and a half and above million dollar player a year. Certainly by the way they used him down the stretch in the playoffs, it suggests that they do not. Um, and the assumption when he got traded here is that he would be the guy that stuck for sure well, because he went to Ohio State, and Ohio State is in Columbus, and yada, yada. I don't know that it's that certain. And I wonder if you guys got a vibe from him, Allison, at, at, at checkout day, uh, and if you have the same sort of concerns that, that I have about the, these two teams sort of coming to a agreement on how they view uh, Ryan Dezingle, both the team, how they view him, and Dezingle, how he views his spot with the team. Yeah, I will actually turn it over to Tom, who, as, as he said, we were splitting, we're splitting up players, and he, he spent time with uh, the, the Zingle Scrum. 
Yeah, I I don't know. I I did not get a sense one way or the other from the player whether he he liked his experience here. I went at him hard about just the idea of how much of a shock to the system it was to be scratched in a, in a playoff series. And this is one of the guys, as you said, a 25-26 goal scorer. Um, uh, he did not want to get into that at all. Uh, when I asked him what they were looking for him to do better. He, of course, did score a huge goal in Game 5 to get him back into the game, but uh, that's clearly a, a sore subject with him. I can understand that. But, yeah, you know, sometimes sometimes it takes guys time to adjust to a team. I don't think Ryan Dzingel ever fully felt comfortable here. Uh, I might be wrong. Maybe he did. Uh but it'll be an interesting. You're right. I mean, that he was the of the guys that they brought in. You were thinking, okay, he'll he'll probably stay for sure. And I I don't have any. In listening to him, and you can never tell with these exit interviews, but in just watching how he was used and how this season went, I don't. It would not shock me to see him elsewhere on July first. Yeah. Well, this could be a wild season. We, we've talked about the, U, the a wild offseason. We've talked about the UFAs leaving. We've talked about John Davidson's potential move to the Rangers. There's a chance that the Blue Jackets could sign and trade Bobrovsky in Florida to or and uh, Panarin to Florida as a way to entice uh, something for those players and as a way for those players to get eight years on their contracts. Uh, that is something to look for. There's a ton of stuff coming down the pike. There's Bill Zito, the assistant general manager, who's interviewing in in uh, Seattle for their GM job. I think this is the sixth team he's interviewed with. Does he get that big-time job? Uh, and if so, how do the Blue Jackets replace him? Uh, this is going to do the Blue Jackets sign a veteran a goaltender. This team is going to look really different next season and as a result as a result of a very uh, tumultuous offseason for them this season so um it's going to be really fun to chart let's let's look back real uh, briefly here at the second round playoff series that was and a lot of stuff you we could go into all sorts of stuff i i just think um as i take a a, a further view from above of the series it just seems to me that Boston is a much more seasoned veteran club. As John Tortorella likes to say, they've got a lot more skin than the Blue Jackets did. I think the Blue Jackets added some skin in these playoffs. Uh, I just feel like Boston's Boston's uh, experience, their toughness, their smarts uh, prevailed in a six-game series. Allison, your thoughts on what went wrong for the Blue Jackets and why Boston uh, prevailed? Yeah, we're and I'm gonna uh, put together some final kind of numbers thoughts on on the series here in the next couple of days as well. Um, but you know, I think that it, it really it, I agree with your point 100. percent And and if you look at the the tactical elements that fell wrong, and even in exit interviews, that I think this was starting to come clear to guys too, is that the the special teams battle was huge and that game three became so pivotal because there were six power play opportunities for Boston. Not only did they capitalize on two, but that was when their top line found their confidence again because they got those goals um, and they just started to roll from there. Um, So it was a special teams battle. The blue jackets power play went cold, particularly relative to what it did against Tampa Bay. 
and and goaltending. And and that again, this is not about Sergei Bobrovsky not showing up. It's about Tuka Rask just playing lights out. Um, just incredible. So, you know, there's there's some other little nuances. Um, I think that the way the Jackets have played all year at five on five bit them because they play to such a tight margin of error and rely so much on finish um, that it just, that really hurt them at five on five. But uh, yeah, it was, it was all the thing, all the cliches you hear here were true. You have to have a hot goaltender and you have to have good special teams and, and Boston had the edge there. Tom. Yeah. I mean, the, the series turns on game four and, you, I can remember the day of the morning skate in Game Four. To to to, to your point, Aaron, there was not a least bit of panic or concern from the Bruins uh, because if they lost Game Four in in uh, in Columbus, they go down three one. And I think that's even for even for a team like that, that could have been a long road back. Yeah, they didn't worry. They weren't worried at all. They they've been that so many times. Uh, what five or six of those guys have, have won the cup and have played in two. Uh, Tuka Rask uh, was brilliant. And yeah, the, at, by the end of game two or the end of game four, and we talked about this on our video, I, I said the biggest goal of the series was uh, the goal from, from Sean Corrali. It went 3-1 and the Blue Jackets never again had control of the series because they had pushed so hard to get the, the tying goal and had been playing so well at home, I just thought it was going to happen. I thought they were going to tie that game. I didn't know what was going to happen after that. But that goal just seemed to take a life out of them. And after that, uh, as Allison alluded, uh, the best players on the Bruins started getting going, and they're still rolling. They won yeah. game one. I expect them to win the Stanley Cup. And that I still think that's one of the harder things that the Blue Jackets are going to have to, to process over the summer. Last the last two years, teams have won the cup. They've beaten the Blue Jackets, right? I mean, that's kind of the thing. The yeah. Penguins did it in seventeen. That's right. uh, Washington did it in eighteen. But uh. those were different to me. Those were still those teams still had a really big tests ahead of them. If you think in seventeen, that team that the, the Penguins team was supposed to really run up against Washington's best team ever. Remember, they made all those moves. They brought in Justin Williams, so that it wasn't assumed that they were going to win the cup. Same with Washington. If you beat Washington last year, it would have just been, oh, it's Washington. They lose every year at some point, you know. And they're going to lose to Pittsburgh anyway. I going into the series, I think a lot of people, with the way everything shook out, thought that th- whoever won this series was going to win the cup. And I think that's going to be true. I think if Boston is going to win the Stanley Cup, and I think that is that's going to be a hard pill to swallow given how close the Blue Jackets were. I wonder if an NHL team has ever lost three years in a row to the eventual cup champion. Oh, boy. Good question. Uh, those Ranger teams could never get by the Islanders when they kept winning cups. Right. Uh, I, but I, I, I don't know that answer. Uh, yeah, you know, yes, yes. I will tell you the team that it is. Uh, the, the Boston Bruins of 78, 77, 78, 79. And they were two minutes away from beating him. And Don Cherry had like 30 fucking players on the ice. And uh, the, the famous too many men on the ice call. I think that was three years in a row for Boston. 30 players on the ice. Uh, they had a lot. No too they many men. They had a lot of players on the ice. A lot of players on the ice. Get out of here. 
All right. Anything else we need to get to, gang? Nope. I'd just say, you know, I know you'll wrap it up too, Aaron, but thanks to everyone for sticking with us. And we'll obviously continue to have coverage and thoughts on, on what's going to be a crazy summer. Yeah, we don't need games for to have something to write. That's for sure. It's going to – the info is going to be flowing all summer. So um, keep checking us out. We'll keep doing these podcasts as well. Probably once – probably one a week here for the next few weeks, and then it'll it'll – pick up again around the draft and then it'll probably slow down a bit in, in August, but we'll keep them coming. We're not going to leave you. Um, thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Thanks for reading. And we will talk to you all soon.